You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. We have our Locked on Colts crossover today, talking about a sleeper team in the AFC and potentially the favorite in the AFC South after trading for DeForest Buckner and weakening the Packers' rival 49ers. They also drafted Michael Pittman Jr., who Packer fans are going to be familiar with, drafted Jonathan Taylor, who Packer fans are certainly familiar with. So a lot to talk to with Evan over at Locked On Colts today. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Do we have to? Yes, we do. And the reason we do is James Jones went on Doug Gottlieb's radio show on Tuesday, and he did the reverse Favre. So what Brett Favre did when he went on Rich Eisen's show was made headlines for implying that Aaron Rodgers was mad and that if he were mad, he would be justified in being mad. He also predicted Aaron Rodgers would finish his career somewhere else. James Jones went on Doug Gottlieb and basically said, this is a business. Aaron understands that it's a business. We know that James Jones and Aaron Rodgers are close. They talk all the time. And James Jones, while not a mouthpiece, for Aaron Rodgers, certainly has his finger on the pulse of Aaron Rodgers. It would also be fair to say that when it comes to the intentions of Rodgers and the best interest of Rodgers, James Jones is a more benevolent actor than Brett Favre, especially because of the history that Favre and Rodgers have. That's not a diss of Brett Favre. That is not even really a criticism of his take. It is just an evaluation of the perspective that you're getting from these two sides. You have to evaluate the perspective. And what James Jones said carries weight. It's just not going to make headlines like Brett Favre. Number one, because he's not as famous as Brett Favre. He's not a Hall of Fame quarterback and one of the iconic players of his generation. But number two, it's not a criticism. It is not something that you can put at the top of an aggregated blog post and say player rips Aaron Rodgers or player says Aaron Rodgers is pissed at his team. James Jones doesn't give you that opportunity because he's trying to throw cold water on all of this by saying, look, it's not that big a deal. This is how the NFL works. If we all know the name of this business, organizations do what they want to do no matter what type of player you are. You know, So me knowing Aaron Rodgers, I don't even really think he expected them to 
call him and say something about it because he knows that he's been around the league for so long. He knows that the organization is going to do what's right for him, and his job is to go out there and make plays and just continue to do what he's doing ball on the football field. And I, I want to credit Doug Gottlieb because he also points out in this interview that the contract is really the thing with these players. And so we talked a lot about, oh, the disrespect. This is a narrative that's out there. Fans, opposing fans especially. Oh, this is disrespectful to Rodgers. It's disrespectful. It's disrespectful. How could they do this to Aaron Rodgers? He deserves better than Jordan Love. Well, first of all, why? Like, why? Why? But second of all, it's not disrespectful because he just got and I mean just got, less than a year ago, the biggest contract in NFL history. The Packers put their faith in him. That's how you respect a great player is you pay them a bucket of money. And that's what the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers. The draft pick is part of the process. It's part of team building. It's part of the deal. And James Jones rightfully points out, that it's something that they've witnessed as members of the Packers. James Jones was on a team that drafted Jordy Nelson, that drafted Greg Jennings, and drafted Randall Cobb. Did Greg Jennings feel disrespected when those other guys were drafted? When, when, when Devontae Adams was drafted? No, this is the process of the NFL. And Aaron Rodgers was the guy. Aaron Rodgers was Jordan Love at one point. He understands this, and it's this logical approach that I think gets missed with all of this. When you get paid and you make as much money as Aaron Rodgers making, you earn that. And I mean, Aaron is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. He, he earned that contract. And, and they paid him as so. But listen, I talked to Aaron a lot. Me and him have been around this game a long time. We've seen people in this organization or any organization come and go. You've seen the Brett Fox come and go. You've seen the Peyton Manning come and go. You know, so you always know that it's a younger player and a guy coming up behind you that's eventually going to come in there and be the quarterback or the wide receiver. When I was there, we drafted Jordy Nelson, then we drafted Randall Cobb, and we already had myself, Donald Driver, and Greg Jennings. So it's all about making your ball club better. And I feel like he was, Jordan Love, was the best player available. But Aaron, he understands that organization, respects the heck out of them in the world. Everybody who watches the game respects the heck out of them. James Jones went on to say that he believed Aaron Rodgers would have an MVP season. Now, I don't know what would really be different. I mean, I think some of the the narrative stuff with this is a little silly. You know, last year, oh, well, he's trying to prove everyone wrong about the the articles that were written and he's a diva. And then he comes out and doesn't have an MVP season, doesn't have anywhere near an MVP season. So now if if he does play well, people are going to say, oh, it was Jordan Love. No, the most likely reason if Aaron Rodgers plays well this year is a team in year two with an offense that now everyone knows, that the quarterback knows better, that the receivers knows better, and that the coaching staff understands a little bit better, not just their scheme and how they want to deploy it, but the players and what they're good at and the positions that you can put them in to help this team succeed offensively. All of that stuff is part of building a foundation. You know, Matt LaFleur came in and built a culture, but I don't think anyone would argue he was an X's and O's wizard in year one. He did some cool stuff. He did some interesting things. He was creative, and it was certainly a change from what the Packers did under Mike McCarthy in some ways that are good and some ways that are less good. 
they believe, and, and they have mentioned the Matt Ryan year two leap from an administration standpoint. Matt LaFleur has talked about it. Brian Gutekinds has talked about it. They've expressed their faith in Aaron Rodgers. And in no way can you express your faith more directly than in financial compensation. And the Packers have put their literal money where their metaphoric mouth is on Aaron Rodgers. He's getting hella paid. So it's not, oh, what does he care? He's getting paid either way. No, no, no. He understands this is a business. And you know how he knows it's a business? Because he's getting paid millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars to play it. So it's his responsibility to fulfill that contract, to play to that contract, and to maximize his own abilities in the confines of the team. That's what he has every incentive to do. Because that means he's playing his best. That means that everyone is saying he's playing his best. And that means, most importantly, that the team is likely winning. Or at the very least, the team is being put in a position to win and win often. That's what ultimately matters. And Rodgers understands that he's going to be measured over the next two, three, four seasons, however much longer he plays, five, six, seven, that he's going to be measured by how often he wins. And he's going to be measured by how deep in the playoffs he can go. He has numbers. He said that last year. I've got numbers I want to win. That's what he said. If they keep winning, what is there to say? And if he, and if he puts up good numbers, what is there to say? It's just funny how I know I'm not going to see the James Jones quotes aggregated. I just know it. I didn't get a push notification from Bleacher Report about James Jones quotes. But... It was everywhere when it was Brett Favre, and Brett Favre didn't say anything out of the ordinary, didn't say anything that we didn't already know. Yeah, the Packers at some point are probably going to move on from Aaron Rodgers, and yeah, Aaron's probably disappointed with what happened. James Jones, friend of Aaron Rodgers, said he thought, after initially wondering if the Packers were better off taking a receiver, he said he was frustrated initially. He said his secondary reaction was, well, Jordan Love is the future of the team. And he was the best player on the board, and the Packers took the best player, and that's what, when the guys you you want are gone, you take the best player. And so he was defending the pick, the guy who is friends with Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron was livid about all of this, if he were seething in his house, pacing back and forth, and and going, I'm just, I'm, I want out, I'm done, this is this is BS. And screw the Packers, screw Matt LaFleur, screw Brian Gutekinds. That's the way it's being framed right now. Oh, he's going to be a problem. He's going to agitate for a trade. He's going to he's going to pout. Why? Why? He's getting paid. And he wants to win. And so the best thing for him to do is, is to be a good soldier, to win, and, and to win in Green Bay. That's what he wants to do. The best case scenario for Aaron Rodgers, and I think Aaron Rodgers knows this, is to spend three more years win a bunch, win a Super Bowl or two, and retire. I think that's what he'd like to do. I mean, I don't want to claim to be inside his brain. Certainly not. I don't have any insight on his mindset. But with as much as he's talked about legacy, you know what the ultimate validation is? To be a really good team for the next three years with a really good quarterback that wins a bunch of games and wins a Super Bowl or two, and no one can say anything. Certainly can't say anything to Aaron Rodgers because he kept winning in the face of it all. And then you make a smooth transition to to Jordan Love. And I'm sure Aaron Rodgers would like to see that happen. 
that he'd like to go out in his own terms in a winning situation and leave the Packers in, in good hands. I'm sure he'd like that. Now, would he probably prefer Jordan Love be not quite as good as him? Yeah, probably. But that's I have a lot of players feel that way. That's just the nature of the beast. If I'm not hosting Locked On Packers, I hope the next host is not as good as me. You break up with an ex and and you hope that the next person they date is fat and ugly and and doesn't have a job and and has no drive and and sucks. It's just the deal. I don't think that's this situation. This is this is not an ex situation yet. It's and it's not a divorce yet. The Packers and and Aaron Rodgers are together. They're still married at least for a couple more years because they're married with a giant contract that says Aaron, we believe in you from the Packers. And that's the most important thing here because it's the money that's going to keep him in Green Bay. It has to. The money is going to keep him in Green Bay for definitely 2020, probably 2021, and if all goes well, 2022. It's hard to see it going any further beyond that. You guys have heard me talk about our new sponsor. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. I don't say that lightly. Trust me, I've tried them all. Every You walk down a health food section, I've had that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one. And I've probably had that one too. The problem with these health foods, all of them, is they taste bad. They really taste bad, but Built Bar is different. Built Bar tastes like a candy bar. 16 amazing flavors. We're talking chocolate, chocolate mint, chocolate nuts. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. You throw them in a backpack, throw them in a golf bag, throw them in your carry-on luggage. It's a great thing for on the go. And right now, I don't know about you, but I'm doing a lot of snacking. And I'm trying not to reach for the sour cream and onion chips. I'm trying not to reach for the popcorn, trying not to reach for the ice cream, trying to be healthy because I'm, I can't be as active. So that's why Built Bar is such a great option. We're talking 20 grams of protein, just 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 net carbs. They're keto-friendly, all that good stuff. And right now, when you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, you'll get $10 off your first order. That's right. Use the promo code Locked On for $10 off your first order. And if you're looking to make an impact in more than just your taste buds, you want to make an impact in the world, there's no better place to do it than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventure across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? And text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769. All right, let's get to our conversation with Evan Sidery from Locked On Colts. The Frank Reich-led Indianapolis Colts. Philip Rivers, DeForest Buckner, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor. A ton to get to a busy offseason that makes them one of the contenders in the AFC it, I, I never thought, and I'm sure, you know, you as someone who's watched this team for a long time, you know, you think about some of the the battles that the Colts and the Chargers had in the playoffs, the Peyton Manning days. It seemed impossible to imagine Phillip Rivers in an Indianapolis uniform. I, I guess the, the big question for me is, is going with a player like Rivers, who is at the end of his career trajectory, as opposed to going young and taking a Jordan Love or, or, you know, even giving Jacoby Brissett another go at it. Is that the right move 
right now for the Colts? I, I originally, Peter, I thought no, but the more I thought about it just over the last few months, I think it just makes a lot of sense. And especially with the Colts end up doing with DeForest Buckner, they're in complete win now mode. Their Super Bowl window is right now for the next one or two years. They re-signed Anthony Costanza. They re, they're going to have T.Y. Hilton on the final swan song of his career in the next couple of years. I think it makes sense to go for it, honestly. And honestly, Jacoby Brissett, the last few months of the year was really, really bad to watch from a viewing standpoint because he was just missing a lot of reads, a lot of wide open guys. And this, the Colts became a vanilla offense, a one-dimensional team run first around Marlon Mack. And Philip Burrs, of course, had his moments last year as far as inconsistencies through 20 interceptions. But I think a lot of those were impressed moments because off the research that I did, he'd be through 35 throws in a game last year or more. He, they had an 0-9 record, the Chargers did, and he had 10 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. But he threw less than 35 throws, Peter. He had 13 touchdowns, six interceptions, with over a 70% completion percentage and a 5-2 and record. So I think this Colts team, with the way they built this offense, too, around Phillip Rivers, you have the offensive line, so he's protected back there. He doesn't have to worry much about that. The power run game at Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor just added in the draft. And you add in Mike Pittman Jr., T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, Zach Pascal, along with Jack Doyle and Trey Burton. They have a lot of pieces in place where the pressure really isn't on Phillip Rivers. I feel like from a game manager standpoint, I think Rivers is a massive upgrade over a Jacoby Brissett. And I, it just seems like, to me, from what we've heard, the Colts just really weren't that interested in the top guys in this draft as far as quarterbacks go. Yeah, and, and you know, Phillip Rivers is the kind of quarterback that I think can excel in a Frank Reich system. I wrote a, a feature a few years ago about Frank Reich and, and um, Nick Sirianni about how they can protect Andrew Luck and, and finding ways to keep him on the field. And ultimately... That proved to be a fool's errand. Andrew Luck just, you know, was was uh, worn out from the grind that that it took on his body. But their point was, if you can win with your brain, if you can protect yourself that way, that's the best way to protect yourself. And it seems like Philip Rivers, as someone who has always made a living figuring out pre-snap where to go with the football, you know, sometimes he gets a little bit aggressive throwing it downfield, of course, into traffic, but he's able to do that and and seems to fit with the kind of offense they want to run. Yeah, absolutely. And they really want to be a run first team right now. And especially with Philip Rivers, he's going to open up more in the play action, but you go and get Jonathan Taylor at 41 overall, you trade up for him a couple spots. It, they have a mantra in Indianapolis, run the damn ball with Quentin Nelson up front. And you have the, the really one of the top offensive lines in the NFL. And they showed last year in games like against Kansas city, you also throw in Atlanta as well, where they can really run the ball at will and just take teams out of it very early on. And adding in another dynamite stick like Jonathan Taylor to the rushing attack, I think makes this a lot, make it a lot more sense for Phil Bruce to have a lot less pressure on him, like I mentioned. But also, he's so good at play action. He loves these big body targets. You have Michael Pittman in there as well at 6'4", 220. I just feel like everything's in place. And you also add in the factor that Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni used to coach Phil Bruce in San Diego, and he had one of his best years completion percentage-wise, 69.1%. I just think it checks so many boxes, not only from Riverside, but also the Colts side as to why they made this marriage happen. Yeah, and and the Colts' approach to the draft was sort of the opposite of Green Bay's. The the Colts decided, okay, aging quarterback, add weapons, and worry about the future at the position in terms of quarterback later, whereas the Packers did the opposite. They said, here's Jordan Love. He's the future of our franchise down the line. And then here's some some sort of tertiary players. From that standpoint, do you think this approach 
sets up an opportunity that in a few years, you know, two years, Jonathan Taylor ascends, Michael Pittman Jr. ascends, two players that that Green Bay fans certainly were interested in. And then they're they're gonna, you know, draft someone or or what is the plan here for how this offense moves through beyond just 2020 and 2021? Yeah, I think what's really interesting, I know Rivers Rivers Camp and also the Colts have mentioned this as well, that if Rivers plays well this year, he will be back in 2021. It could, it's more of a pseudo two-year deal if all goes well this year. But you look at post-2020, 2021, Phil Rivers, whenever he's gone from Indianapolis, they drafted Jacob Eason at 122 overall, the Washington quarterback. They did it, I think, just out of value alone. He was a day two player, probably a top 75, top 80 player. Slipped to 122, so I think the Colts just might as well say why not. They had no quarterback under contract through next season. So Easton either is the franchise quarterback of the future or he's just a long-term backup for this team. But tying a fourth-round pick and that little salary to Jacob Easton, there's no real risk as far as rolling the dice on him. He could be your franchise guy. He could not be. And I think you look at the 2021-2022 draft classes, they're so good at quarterback. I think the Colts just playing their cards right and doing it conservatively right now and building the offense around Phil Brewers and really having these young weapons like Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, they'll all be in their hopeful, like near primes as this young quarterback, whoever it may be in a couple of years enters the system. You mentioned the DeForest Buckner trade um, earlier. And, and that was something that I was really fascinated by because it seemed like the 49ers decided, look, the money allocated to the defensive front um, it cannot it cannot be spread around to everyone at a certain point. They decided to pay Eric Armstead versus DeForest Buckner. That's really the ultimate the t- decision that they made. W- when this all went down, were you surprised, number one, that the 49ers moved on, and number two, that the Colts valued Buckner so highly that they'd be willing to give up a top 15 pick and uh, a top-of-market, basically, receiver salary for an interior defender? Yeah, it was really shocking from all sides as it first broke because $21 million annually for a defense tackle is is really big money, of course. That's Aaron Donald-type money for him. I know he, he makes around $22.5 million for the Rams. But Buckner, you have a player that was obviously wanting a big money contract. He earned it with the way he played in San Francisco. But giving up the top 15 pick, Chris Bauer told us on his uh, press conference after this trade happened that they valued Buckner so highly as far as not only an on, on-field impact, but also they value character so highly in this organization that – the team captain, he knows how to really help build a locker room and build a culture like he did in San Francisco. And they believe Buckner could be a team leader on that side with Darius Leonard and formerly a dynamic duo with two all pros now on defense there. And th- I think the impact that Buckner's going to have on all three levels of this Colts defense is going to be huge because the Colts were looking at defense tackles and free agency. They are going to look at them in the draft. And DeForest Buckner is the best case scenario for anything. I think obviously they went with Javon Kinlaw, the 49ers, to replace Buckner. But there's going to be no development curve for a DeForest Buckner. He's right in the middle of his prime. He's going to help out right away and be an instant impact player. So I was not I was not for it at first, but the more I saw it, I think it just makes so much sense because it's cold team is in win now mode and you add another all pro to this team. It only ups their ceiling for this year. Yeah, the thing that I've, I've been trying to impress upon uh, mostly 49ers fans is that Javon Kinlaw, for as good as, as you think he is as a prospect, potentially, he's not going to be DeForest Buckner in 2020. Just like under no scenario is that going to be the case. And so that is what the 49ers gave up. Now, maybe long-term he is, but the Colts are going to get the better player in 2020. There's really no two ways about that here. So I'm looking at the Colts in the in the view of the AFC South, and the Texans are in a weird situation. I don't know what to make of the Titans coming off a season where it seems like they overperformed, and the Jaguars are the Jaguars. So... When it comes to the hierarchy of the AFC South for 2020, how do you see this division? 
I think honestly, with what they did this offseason, adding in Philip Rivers to Forrest Buckner and a lot more veterans win now. They get Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor as well to start things off in the draft. I think they kind of leapfrog here, Peter, honestly, to the top of the division. And I think it makes a lot of sense because, like you mentioned, I think Tennessee was very hot at the end of the year. They rode Derrick Henry to the ground a little bit. Ryan Tannehill was a good play action passer, but was that just a one hit wonder? I believe that was. I think they'll probably be a nine and seven, eight and eight type of team. Like you mentioned, Jacksonville, they're, I think they're tanking Trevor Lawrence at this point with what they're doing with their team. And Houston, I mean, who knows what Bill O'Brien is doing, honestly, because he traded away their best player in DeAndre Hopkins. You have Deshaun Watson, of course, a quarterback, and they didn't really do much to address the offensive line outside of Laramie Tunsil last year. I thought they would do more with that in the draft. And it's really curious what Houston's doing here. So I really believe that what the Colts did this offseason, you add in all these blue chip talents into this roster for a team with Jacoby set a quarterback probably a top 25 top 30 quarterback they were still near 500 I think the leap they could take here is maybe even 10 to 11 wins this year yeah I, I think the Colts are the favorite uh, I do wonder though if you asked you know the the guys over doing the Texans show or or uh, at Locked on Titans if they would agree I, but I, I agree with you so I, I'm with you uh, it's going to be a fascinating season to play out and, and it will not surprise me if we're looking up in the AFC playoffs and the Colts are there with the chiefs at the end of the run. I, I think they're, they're that talented. And uh, I think that much of Frank Reich and, and that coaching staff to be sure. Uh, Evan, this was great. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, look forward to doing this again in the season. Hopefully we have a season. Yeah, absolutely. I know the Colts and Packers face off. So we're talking again here soon, Peter. Before we get out of here, I want to give you a chance to make up for last year's mother's day gift. I know it was not, Ideal. Sometimes we don't have time. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we just don't know what to get. Well, Mother's Day is her Super Bowl, so celebrate this Mother's Day by scoring her a great gift. Your mom will be able to travel in time, in her mind, to India. Sample the food and laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in the 1950s in India through a new book of fiction called The Hen Artist. By the way, it's in Reese Witherspoon's book club for May. So check it out and anytime in May, post a picture of your mom holding the ebook or book on Instagram or Facebook and tag the author at the Alka Joshi. That's A L K A J O S H I. A donation of four meals per post, up to 10,000 meals will go to Feeding America. It's a great cause. So buy The Henna Artist today at your favorite bookseller. That's Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, Target, and make mom the ultimate winner in your family. All right, I want to thank Evan for coming on the show. And we'll finish up the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans tomorrow, a team that is very similar in a lot of ways to the Green Bay Packers. And I, I think that if they are being honest, they both overachieved last year. Uh, and, and Green Bay, I think they'd like to replicate the quarterback play that, that the Titans got from Ryan Tannehill last year, which is a wild thing to say in the year of our Lord 2020. But it is real. Tannehill overachieved last year, but played better than Aaron Rodgers. There's just no two ways about it. And I think there's reason to believe that that can change in 2020, both for Aaron Rodgers and, and more likely for Ryan Tannehill. I think he's going to hit some regression. That's something that we will certainly talk about tomorrow. And then next week, we've got the NFC South. Um, a lot of, of really interesting conversations on the docket. We've got the, the rookie orientation series going. I'm, I'm getting those interviews set up. We've got almost a month's worth of content pretty much in the bank here coming up. So a lot of stuff to get to. We do not stop. We do not sleep. The schedule comes out tomorrow. 
We will uh, we will get to some of that later. Um, by the time the Thursday show comes out, the schedule will not be out. But it's something we will talk about next week for sure. So to not miss any of those shows, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.